Welcome to You Matter Most Podcast. My name is Jake Goodman. And my name is Zachary Daranowski. We are both medical students from across the world. I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I live down under in Sydney, Australia. We met on Instagram and we vibed instantly. We share the same mission to destigmatize and normalize conversations around mental health. On this podcast, we'll be interviewing individuals who are shattering the stigma of mental health and pushing the culture in the right direction with vulnerability, relatability, and empowerment. You Matter Most is more than just a podcast. Jake and I built a community of over a million people around the world who are driven to challenge the status quo. We have created merch and a portion of profits benefit mental health nonprofits and charities such as the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Every episode, we will be dropping a select number of podcast-specific shirts that are only available for a limited time. We've got a killer lineup of incredible doctors, advocates, musicians, and more, and we are stoked to launch the You Matter Most podcast. are stoked to start episode one with someone that we look up to and consider a trailblazer in the field. Our guest today is Dr. Julie Smith. Dr. Julie Smith is a clinical psychologist, online educator, blogger, and owner of a private practice based in Ringwood, Hampshire, England. She has a passion for making top quality mental health education accessible online by creating educational and inspirational videos on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. This year, she has absolutely exploded on TikTok, amassing over 2 million followers and 190,000 followers on Instagram. She's been featured on BBC, CNN, Women's Health, Men's Health, and more. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Julie Smith. Thanks very much for having me. Of course. So before we even start, Dr. Julie Smith, I've just got a fanboy here for a second. I had a chance to, to do so in a, in a small way before we started, but here's my real fanboy moment right here. Because for those of you guys that are listening, you should never be too proud to tell one of your heroes that they are your hero and never be too proud to have heroes. So I would hate to record this podcast without having the opportunity to tell you that you are one of my heroes. I look up to you. What you've been able to accomplish in 2020 is miraculous. You have tapped into an entire generation of people on TikTok and Instagram that want to talk about mental health and they want to reduce the stigma. Your videos have changed the lives of tens of thousands of people and you have paved the way for people like Zach and myself to tell our stories and help others. So this isn't a question, this is just a thank you, Dr. Julie, it's an absolute honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And I'm gonna follow up with what Jake said right there and that's exactly how I started this whole Instagram and TikTok was because of you um, and my good friend, Dr. Tommy Martin, who I reached out to, I said, could you let Dr. Julie Smith that I know I, I look up to her. And then when you follow me back, it just ignited me because it's just what you're doing is just, it's groundbreaking and it's extremely exciting to see that mental health is becoming normal. And they, we always say destigmatize and normalize, but you're truly doing that through social media. And, and I'm honored and grateful to have you on board for this podcast. So let's get started. Thank you so much. So I'm going to start with the question here. Um, could you fill us in on how you started your career and what led you to pursue becoming a clinical psychologist? Yes. Yeah, so um, kind of rewind back to uh, the days of 
uh, so in the UK, you kind of you complete your GCSEs when you're 16, and then you go into a sixth form or a college for two years until you're 18. And in that time, I did um, a psychology A level because it sounded interesting. Had no idea really what it was about, and really enjoyed it. And so thought, okay, yeah, let's let's do that at university. Not really knowing what I wanted to do, or you know, I was just following my interests. And and then throughout my degree, again modules that I chose and things like that I just followed my interests um although we were completely put off doing clinical psychology because they were telling us you know it's really difficult to get into and and so I didn't really think about it until I got good grades and then thought well maybe it was possible maybe I could do it and and just found different jobs um in sort of first of all research in addictions research and then um in sort of primary care mental health um, just yeah getting kind of experience and again just following things that sounded really interesting to me and um, and then ended up you know man managed to get onto a clinical training course um, not far from home at Southampton and um, and then from there I worked in the NHS for a few years and and then once I had children um, started working from home in a, a small private practice um, so yeah, just all the way, just following my interests really. No kind of epiphany moment of thinking, yes, this is what I want to do and this is my passion. I just mm -hmm. found psychology fascinating. I always read about psychology. Um, and actually, I'm part of a, a book club where we're supposed to read fiction and, and I, I never complete the books because the books <laughs> I like to read are actually kind of psychology, really you know, boring to other people, but... Um, you know, kind of non-fiction stuff, um, I prefer. So, um, yeah, I just always followed what fascinated me. Yeah, so my next question would have been, when was there that point? But it seems like there was no epiphany. It was just who you are, like part of your identity, would you say, in terms of gradually evolving to where you are yeah, today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, um, I read this incredible book once. I, I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote it, um, called Epiphany, and it's about those wonderful moments where people just had this kind of light bulb moment of thinking yes this is what I want to do with my life and I never had one of those it was just I think a grind of uh, always wanting to work hard but but having the privilege of being able to choose something I was interested in um which I get absolutely is in a position to be able to do that so um yeah and then gradually evolve you know I never thought in a million years or even two years ago that I would be doing this now just never you know but I think as you follow what fascinates you and and work as hard as you can at it, then you kind of take a windy path to something that, you know, is really interesting and exciting and and fits with your values. I couldn't agree more. If you would have asked me four months ago that I would have been on a podcast with yourself and Jake, <laughs> I would have never believed you. It just I think following your passions and then the opportunities arise and you've done so much. So yeah, that answers my first question. Jake? I, I think this is an important thing to talk about because you say, you know, you never had this epiphany. And I feel like there's a common misconception that every successful person has gotten to where they are because they've had this epiphany. Like, Oh, I, here's where I knew I wanted to be a doctor when blank happened. And, and in reality, I have not found that to be true. Of course it does exist for some people. But I think most people, it's a process, including myself. I am, a, you know, a month away from applying into psychiatry residency, but I never had this epiphany in my psychiatry rotation that, oh man, this is it. And it is definitely a process. And so I think it's really important that um, we're honest with ourselves that there's not this, it would be great if there was, but there doesn't seem to be this magical moment where it's like the, the stars align. And it's like, Ooh, 
I am officially <laughs> going to be a psychologist. Absolutely. And I think sometimes, I mean, those moments are lovely to hear about. And, and if someone has one of those moments, it's a great story, isn't it? But I think the idea that everybody has to have that and have a moment where they just realize their passion um, almost sets us up to feel like we're failing, doesn't it? And, mm -hmm. and, and actually, I think passions are maybe often generated out of really working hard at something and realizing how meaningful it is. I think when I first um, even, when I, even when I got into clinical training, I thought it sounded like a great job, but I had no idea really at that point how much meaning the job could have for me further along the line because I, I wasn't exposed to the, the degree of distress that people can experience and mm -hmm. all things that people can go through. So the meaning and the passion, I think, grows the more you learn about something. So true. So I to rewind a little bit too, really quick, Jake, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the process and when you were told maybe earlier that clinical psychology is competitive or getting involved in research and it was through those experiences that it just evolves and you have to fall in love with the process, um, but that aligns with your passion. So yeah, I, I think it's incredible, Jake. Yeah, and in line with that, I think um, also I had, you know, I have this, these people at university saying, you know, it's really hard and you've got to get a first and you've got to be able to volunteer for free for a few years. And I think I could never be in the position to be able to do that. Um, but then, you know, fast forward two or three years and I was in a research job with someone who was applying and they said, go for it. It's possible. So you have these two different ideas that can make something feel either impossible or possible. Um, so it's all about who you talk to sometimes. You know, people can put you into a different mindset um, that mm -hmm. can send you on a different path. Absolutely. I'd love to chat about social media. Uh, that's how I first saw you. That's how Zach first saw you and, you know, why we eventually got to where we are today uh, in this conversation. I saw you, I think for the first time, it must have been maybe February when I first downloaded TikTok. I get on TikTok and see someone doing something different. Some, I've never seen anyone do something like this because when I first downloaded TikTok, it was the traditional dancing and comedy and, you know, I'm thinking, what is this app? And then I see you and you are talking about mental health to a generation that I love this generation. It's typically Gen Z that is on the app and you are talking about it in such a, a way that's relatable and empowering. And I had never seen anything like that on this app. You know, on Instagram, there are people that post and they, get, they provide captions and they're insightful. This was a whole new interactive way and it really blew my mind and exposed me to what the possibilities were. So I'd love for you to chat about when and why you started posting on social media. Um, I think it's all my husband's fault, actually. <laughs> we... Um, <laughs> So I, when I had children and I couldn't manage, so I had, I was working part-time in the NHS, part-time private practice. And at that point I had two, two of the three children and I couldn't do it all. I realized I couldn't do it all. So I started to focus on the private practice, which I could work around the children. And I, I, I never realized it would happen because it's a slightly different um, kind of situation. I was, when I was in the NHS, I was working in hospitals and things like that. Um, so in the private practice, I had lots of people coming to me who were struggling with, with different emotional experiences, but they didn't necessarily need long-term therapy. So a significant part of therapy is educational. So you teach people about their emotions, how the mind works, 
how they can influence their mood and how they feel and stuff like that. And for a lot of these young people, I realized once they had that education, they were, they were ready to fly. Like they were ready to go and saying, saying things to me like, how has no one taught me this before? Like this is simple stuff. Mm-hmm. and it's changing my life why have they not taught me this at school and, and and I think my husband probably got annoyed with me just chirping on about it all the time saying they should teach this stuff in school and um and he said well why don't you just you know try and make it available why don't you put something on YouTube or something and so we started thinking about doing that and uh, in the meantime he discovered TikTok and um, we loved the app. We thought it was so much fun, you know, all the dancing and the comedy and, and you know, it was a really kind of lighthearted and really addictive kind of process of <laughs> um, seeing all these really fun things. And, um, and he said, well, why don't you try and put something on there? And two things held me back initially. One was the idea of trying to fit anything educational into 60 mm-hmm. seconds. And the other was um, the idea of just being trolled out of there and laughed off you know um so it was the idea that we could just if it all went you know wrong and, and everyone hated it that we could just delete the account and that would you know pretend it never happened um so but yeah he persuaded and I couldn't even watch it back the first couple of videos I couldn't even watch them back I just handed it over and he pressed the button and I just pretended it wasn't happening and um and about I don't know 10 videos in or something it just started to kind of grow and people were responding really positively. Um, so yeah. And then fast forward, here we are. <laughs> wow. I found it really interesting when I went to your TikTok because before this interview, I was wondering every single video you have is so on point, so creative. And I know there has to be some form of evolution. So I, so <laughs> I scrolled back right to the beginning of your TikTok. Oh, no. There's nothing wrong with it. (laughs) I went back (laughs) and you kept your videos and it's amazing to see the evolution of what you've become as a creator online and how you've been able to go from what you were doing, not saying it was just a different form of instantly connecting with your audience and somewhat following trends and obviously using the popular music and just it's, 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 it's awesome to see that. Um, and would you say it's from experience that you've been obviously be able to do that? And my other question is, I don't know if you want to answer this, how many takes does it take you on, on, on the, to, to create a video um, to be so perfect? Because it comes across as just on point. Oh, um, do you know what? The number of takes, I just, uh, I, I did a post a while ago saying I'm going to start sharing some of the outtakes because, but, but there's so much swearing. I can't share a lot of it because, you know, if you, if you had a go at something and you're on the 30th take and you still say it wrong and then the swearing that comes out is just not shareable. So, um, I haven't shared as many outtakes as I would like to have, but yeah, some days it just, you know, and if you're tired, like if I've been up with the children in the night and my brain is just not working or if I haven't really scripted out right and it just sounds completely wrong or, um, you know, sometimes it just takes forever. Other times it just goes and that's fine. Um, Sometimes I come in here thinking I've got this thought and then I just see how it goes and it comes out really well and other times it doesn't. So, um, and yeah, it has been a real evolution. I think um, those first few videos, um, I was just kind of talking to, as if it was, you know, the screen was a person and um, with different thoughts and, and people seem to like it. But I think that maybe the, the standard on TikTok has rapidly increased with the number of people using it. 
And if you can't hold someone's attention in that first few seconds, they just won't listen. So, you know, you have, if you're an educator, you have to also, you know, sort of account for the fact that people are, you know, that, that finger or thumb is there waiting to just go to the next video if you're not gripping enough. So, um, and luck, I think part of that evolution has been the fact that I'm not doing it on my own. Um, you know, my husband's really creative and thinks about, you know, different ideas and finds all the different trends and stuff that we can hook on to. Um, Cause you know, so I need to message your husband is what you're saying. Yeah. I'll do the same. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He comes up with all the good ideas and, and, and then we just try and make it work together. I think the best videos we've done are the ones where we've worked on it together wow. um, where we can, you know, like, um, uh, I did a video on the stress bucket where we had the, the water mm -hmm. coming in and the, um, you know, trying to do creative stuff like that. If I was on my own, I wouldn't be able to really do that. So, um, yeah, it's great to have a bit of a creative team to sort of work on it, really. Or when you did Maslow's hierarchy with all those cards, oh. I cannot imagine how long that took you. I to love do. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> and there was a there was a take where um, someone turned up actually to see us that day, and and we were almost done. And we said, just just give us a minute. We're just on the um, and I got to the sort of top, and it was the it was the last three seconds of the oh, video, no. and I and I knocked it, and, and oh god. <laughs> Yeah, so it can be frustrating. That's a good but, blooper, um, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, beep out the, out the swearing. <laughs> so I have two things I want to I want to um, add, or not even add, but just kind of talk about that that you brought up, Dr. Julia, that I think the listener uh, is really gonna take a lot from. Uh, number one, trolls. It, it's important to know that you, with over two million followers on TikTok. Myself and Zach, we have a combined about a million on TikTok. We all, and Zach, I'm speaking for you here. Tell me if I'm wrong. <clears throat> but when we all first started, we were very worried about trolls. And, uh, and, I, and I think it's important to know that no matter how big the creator is, you always are going to have this doubt that, you know, however big the creator becomes, you're always going to have this doubt that what if people don't like it? What if, uh, you know, like I get, like you said, trolled right out of there. And uh, the reality is, how many trolls have we had between the three of us? Probably tens of thousands. And we're still here and we're still, you know, there are always going to be trolls, but our mission is, is to continue doing what we're doing, uh, no matter how many trolls come at us. And so I think it's really important to know that that's a, that's a common uh, fear amongst human beings is, is the fear that people won't like what we're doing. Uh, and, and that's just part of social media. And the other thing I wanted to, to mention was that your first video didn't go viral. Your second video didn't go viral. My, my first eight videos never got over 50 views. I deleted like six of them and then actually almost deleted the app until I decided I'm going to give this thing one more time. And Zach, I remember when you first started too, it wasn't like this, in this massive explosion. And so I think those are two really interesting points here. Absolutely. And, and you know, the first video of mine that blew up, well, I didn't go viral, it kind of blew up. I think that the first one that got more than a few thousand got 60,000. And, um, and it only you see that like that. it's small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and the only thing is, I, I, at the time, I thought, what? Um, but it only did that because I made a mistake. And I... I wasn't really clued up with using the app at the time and I didn't know that you could play with the volume of the background music. And so mm -hmm. it was really too loud. And, but what I was saying was well, probably a message people were interested in. So they had to keep watching it back to hear what I was saying. <laughs> and so the comments was just full of people saying, 
look, your music's too loud. Um, but the views <laughs> were coming in, so, you know. But your watch time must have been high then because they rewatched <laughs> yeah. it. So, so it was a win. But it was not because we found the perfect video and, and you know, made everything amazing. Um, it was a bit, a bit of luck. <laughs> and I kind of want to hit on this angle too because TikTok isn't just social media. The way TikTok works for the average viewer who doesn't know a lot of your views come from the thing called the FYP, the For You page. So it's random strangers. And about a large majority of these strangers, they don't have usernames or identities like maybe Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn. So the trolls aren't just uh, some random, like what's the name of the troll? Not Heather. What's the, what's the TikTok name for that? Karen. You know what I'm, pardon? Is it Karen? Karen, thank you. It's not, it, it's user 24683326. So it's a person behind a mask. Um, so you don't even know who it is and they don't even know. So it's, I think it's a lot more prevalent in terms of that. Um, yes. And that was one of the things that really affected me personally was um, how would I be perceived? And mm-hmm. am I, is this authentic? And why does he have a stethoscope around his neck? And does he even know what he's talking? Like it just a lot of, like you, you doubt yourself. Um, so although I'm not, I'm a medical student, not a clinical psychologist, can you speak um, how you weren't um, doubting yourself or worried about the trolls in the sense that Jake referenced before? Well, I, I doubted myself all the way along and worried about the trolls all the way along. Um, and, you know, I was absolutely human about it. And um, a lot of the videos I couldn't even watch back, to be honest, because the troll was in here going, oh, your voice, or, oh, you look awful, or, you know, those sorts of things, just, we're all our own worst critics, aren't we? So um, a lot of them, I would just have to kind of close one eye and press the button and and see what happened. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and so, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult to make yourself vulnerable. I think probably the two things that that helped me to, to kind of be resilient along the way was, Something that I read in, it was actually a Brene Brown book where she quotes, um, I think it's Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, where she talks about the idea of, you know, if you're, you're in the ring and, and there's blood, sweat and tears and you're doing the work, the, the opinions of the people in the back row don't count because they're not in the ring doing the work. So, you know, often those kind of user 247, whatever, don't have any content. They're not producing anything. They're not making themselves, themselves vulnerable. Um, and so, you know, if you're not out there having a go, you know, maybe that, that criticism is not as valid as it would be if you were an experienced creator offering me something helpful. And I, I also um, think the fact that you use like maybe the tag, like hashtag mental health, hashtag psychology, and that's on their For You page, maybe they're suffering from mental health. Or those videos obviously are on their pages for a reason. So who knows what's going on behind the screen, right? So the fact that they feel they need to express that um isn't a reflection on you it's maybe a an outlet um so it's been something that i've tried to look at it that way too absolutely and i think because that's the other that's the other part that helps me is is having compassion for people and and um if they you know if someone expresses sort of you know something abusive or or you know just trolling um then i always have to bring myself back you get the initial emotion and then i have to bring myself back to um, things are not right. Something's not right there. And, and I, I wish them all the best. I hope that things get better for them. 
-hmm. So having that compassion for this person you can't see and all, all you've got of that person is some sort of abusive language um, is difficult, but it's something that always helps me to just see past it and, and move on. Um, and also, you know, I try not to look too much into, the, you know, some people are lovely and really positive and, uh, you know, congratulatory. And I try also not to get too um, connected to that as well, because it doesn't, change me it doesn't make me any more worthwhile than anybody else I'm just me um and there you know I, I if I listen too much to the congratulations or I listen too much to the abuse then god my self-esteem will be like you know on a roller coaster <laughs> yeah yeah so I just have to be separate from it and and it is lovely to hear you know nice positive opinions and upsetting to hear the negative ones but I have to remember that I'm completely separate from that and it's not really about me. Mm -hmm. uh, question, uh, Brene Brown, was that the Power of Vulnerability book? It, uh, it, one of them, I've got most of them. <laughs> yeah, I gotta yeah. do a plug for that book. So, and, and Brene Brown is someone that we'd love to have on the podcast at some point. She, uh, for you guys listening, the, the Power of Vulnerability, one of the best books I've ever read and was a catalyst for me to do what I'm doing now. People, uh, people want to hear you being vulnerable. And I think we've all done a really good job of that. Zach, your, your platform is you're built around that. And, and when I came out on, uh, in January with my account, my platform was vulnerability and the number of times it took me to how many denials it took me to get into medical school and the number of times it took the MCAT and all that stuff. And I think people, especially Gen Z, are sick of, of seeing success, success. Look at me on social media, I'm the best. And to see someone flip the script and say, this is actually how long it took me to get here, these are my failures, I think is, is so refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. I shared something on my Instagram stories the other day where um, I, I had the day with my, my youngest, my little boy, who's about to turn two, and, and we had this really lovely morning. I took him to a little cafe and he had a cookie and, and I took this cute picture and put it on my Instagram stories. And, and that was like the best moment of the day because then after it just went downhill and we had lots of, you know, meltdowns and two year old things that happen. And, um, including just the worst school run I've ever done where, where he just, um, he'd woken up too early from his nap. He was tired. He just screamed the whole school run while I was picking the other two up. It was awful. And, um, and I just thought that no, I, I can't leave that Instagram story on where it looks like I've got it all in hand. <laughs> um, so I had to then add to my story saying, oh, by the way, this wasn't the end of the story, you know, that it's not real. It, it's, that's not the whole story. There was also some real challenging moments and, mm -hmm. um, ones where it wasn't, wasn't all smiles and cookies. It was, you know, snot and dribble. And, um, <laughs> so, so yeah. And I think like that, you know, that's, that's a positive movement where people are, you know, not only showing, you know, best foot forward, they're also just being real and saying, this is part of being human. This is part of being a parent. This is part of, um, being a doctor and you know, all those kind of things. I think it's really positive. Mm -hmm. I need to ask you this question now too. So we talked about your video, obviously when you had 60,000 and that was like a wow moment that this thing's going somewhere. But when did you genuinely know you were gaining traction? Because our introduction was saying you have over 2 million followers on TikTok, 190,000 on Instagram. Like this thing really evolved and it evolved quickly. Um, can you talk to me about that and where your kind of headspace is at today too? Because it's still evolving. It's exponential. Yeah. Um, 
do you know it feels like a whirlwind to, to sort of look back on it um it was yeah so November um and and it started to grow and and I think that's where the apps are just as addictive for the creators as they are for people just kind of scrolling aren't they because you you get a little bit of traction and you, you get you know some positive feedback and you think yay and then, and then you go make some more videos and and so I think we just got onto this um sort of well and I don't I don't really know if I even had a vision or a strategy I just thought oh people like it okay let's go for it and I had the idea in my head of wanting to share you know this education and things about mental health and um and then just kept going with it and then once uh lockdown happened here in sort of March time um we at that time at that time we were gaining a lot so it was maybe kind of a hundred thousand followers or something a month on a good month and then in one of the months during lockdown it went to quarter of a million in a month and um and yeah. i think that is just to, you know a sign of not only that lots of people were on tiktok because it was you know lockdown but also mm -hmm. for them to choose to follow someone who's sharing mental health content um i think that was just a real sign that people you know out there are hungry for this sorts of information and um and this sort of discussion so um yeah but i don't think it had a kind of set strategy it's just been you know this tr this rocket was taking off so i'm just grabbing on for dear life <laughs> seeing what happens that's Imagine awesome Julie. i wanted to say one more thing really quickly in terms of that um is that fine jake yeah go I ahead, go ahead. Say go ahead. Quick. Mm -hmm. so in regards to that the mental health with covid and lockdown that my my personal theory is that anxiety depression and mental health isn't more prevalent i just don't think it's the ability to suppress it is there anymore because you're alone with your thoughts or you're alone at home. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly if, if you are, um, even if you're at home with family members, sometimes that can compound it. You know, it's sometimes mm -hmm. it's easier to live with people if you go off and do your own thing during the day and you meet up for a couple of hours in the evening. But if you're suddenly with each other 24 seven, that puts your relationship into a pressure cooker and any cracks there are going to widen and you know it, it's difficult to kind of wind down from discussions or arguments because you can't go anywhere and so I think that just made everything more difficult for people so yeah absolutely so Dr. Julia a question I have for you is uh, what do you think is the most misunderstood topic in mental health uh, that you wish everyone could understand the most misunderstood topic um i think maybe it's the maybe it's the idea that mental health isn't about some people are well and don't have it and then other people are unwell and have it that that for, for me mental health is just the same as physical health it's it's a part of being human and we're all on a bit of a kind of spectrum and mm -hmm. we can move along that all the time and and sometimes we feel great and sometimes we don't and and that that we're not also at the mercy of professionals and doctors who tell us that this is what you should do that there are some really simple things that because they're simple people underestimate how powerful they are um, in, in sort of changing how you feel or building your resilience. Um, so for me, I guess that sort of 
that big misconception that it's you're okay until you're just not and then you've got to go to the doctor and and they can make you better mm. actually you can you can manage your mental health in the same way that you manage your physical health you don't wait until you've got you know some a terrible physical ailment before you start eating well and going to the gym you do that now to help build your resilience and your you know immune system and stuff like that so um yeah i think that's part of my sort of mission really is to help people feel empowered to manage their mental health um and to seek help when they need it you know it would be great if people felt free to say do you know what i've not been myself for the last couple of months so i'm just gonna go and book in with someone and see what's going on in the way that you might do it. Hey, I'm just going to go see my GP because something's not right with my leg or whatever, you know? So that's my kind of dream that it would become like that. I love that. And I think your ability to simplify it with analogies, whether it's the bucket of water, the rice one that um, currently got, was a featured on women's health, I think. Um, but it's so simple and so understandable that it's like, okay, maybe I can do something or maybe they, it, it just makes it very normal um, the way you're able to produce content. And I think that's so important for not just my age, but Gen Z as well. Um, and I think they're going to be leading the wave in terms of the normalcy of mental health because they're being brought up in the fact of this is being pushed right now in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that, Jake? Yeah, and this is actually something I was just chatting about with um... – I was doing a, an IG live with a guy named Matthew and he asked me, what is it with Gen Z? Why, you know, how are they so receptive to this? And, and Dr. Julie, maybe you could speak about this. From my experience, Gen Z is sick of the stigma of mental health. They're sick of, as we all are, but more so in their generation, they're sick of seeing their friends commit suicide or having, you know, depression be this thing where it's like, well, we don't talk about it. I saw my the homework that my first grade niece was doing and it said, it was a piece of paper that said, um, let's talk about your feelings today. And it was like a smiley face or a frowny face. And it was all these things like, how, you know, basically teaching them to express their emotions at such a young age. And I feel like in, in my generation, and at least as a, as a male, it was, you know, if something bad happens, you just, just deal with it, you know, man up. And I have a feeling that Gen Z is just sick of this and they want to talk about mental health. And that's how we've been able to talk about mental health on TikTok and how we've all been able to explode in growth uh, and, and have these conversations because this generation is just sick of stigma. Absolutely. And I, and I think um, the, the generation shifts happen gradually, don't they? And and, and it's really exciting to see. I feel like we're living in an exciting time because these conversations are just bursting up everywhere. And, and it's exciting to think then, well, how will it be in 20, 30, 40 years time if these conversations continue and people keep pushing forward? And, um, you know, it, it's, it is a really exciting time. That kind of leads me to the next question too. So, in terms of TikTok, in terms of my personal growth, which I don't like to talk about, but it's, you were talking before, the more you post, the more you found success, the more, um, I don't know if you felt the need to post or the want or the desire based on previous success. How has that impacted you or how have you stayed grounded in terms of that not impacting your mental health in any negative way? 
absolutely and and it it's been a roller coaster and it's not been an easy one for sure i think people maybe look at the videos and it's all smiley and, and wonderful in the video because you're trying to engage someone um but you know that involved you know i've got three children and uh, you know house to run and business and stuff so um it's involved lots of early mornings and late nights which are not good for mental health and stress levels and um we, we kind of got onto this mission where it meant so much to us and we wanted to put something out every day and but the reality of that is it's really hard work and i think um more recently actually i sort of come to the realization that i need to just take a step back remember to practice what i preach put in time to you know it got to a point where things like exercise were just dropping off and um that makes a big difference for me i, I can feel really energized if i've had you know made the time to exercise and stuff like that or if i've had a bad few nights with the children because i've not been able to sleep because they've been you know awake at night or something those simple things make such a big difference so um you know and i've so i've not done it perfectly all the way along and i've not just been kind of happy and jolly in producing it all the way along it's been really tough and um, the pressure that comes with, you know, it's a fantastic thing, isn't it? And, and all these sort of messages from people and, and opportunities that come up are incredible. But if you're not looking after yourself at the same time, it can just feel stressful. And, and then you can right. sort of, you know, then you get the urges to, to just switch it off and make it all go away. Um, so I, <laughs> yeah, I have to keep, yeah, absolutely. I have to keep reminding myself, um, you know that that I'm I'm a human being and I need to look after myself as well and and I can just take people on that journey you know and, and let them know that well this is how I do things and um, sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you receive DMs, comments, you know, like you mentioned, from people all over the world who, who thank you for helping them um, help and cope and learn about their mental illness. And so I'm just wondering how does that feel to have, even when I open my DMs, I, I, I'm a, I can't handle with how many DMs there are. I wish I could get to all of them as I'm sure you do, but what does that feel like? Cause you must have 30 times what I have and that's not even including emails and, and comments and everything. How, how do you, how does that feel and how do you uh, manage that? Yeah, I think that's been one of the, the big pressures. I think when it first started and we had, you know, maybe a few hundred comments on a video, that was really, um, that, that was really moving. And you think, oh, these people have taken this time. So I'm going to take the time. And I would sit down in the evening, you know, I'd get the children to bed and do And then I'd go, I'm going to sit up and reply to everyone. And, and then that just increased and, increased, and then I'm getting this late night and I'm thinking, right, I have to get up at five because I've got to film before the kids get up. And then it does and, and you just, hang on a minute this isn't sustainable um mm -hmm. so uh, yeah absolutely it gets to a point where you have to forgive yourself for not being able to um to respond to ten thousand comments or something in a day after doing everything else you normally have to do um so i you know i try my best and i, and I try to dip in and dip out when when i get a moment but um i also have to recognize i can't do it all so mm -hmm. sometimes you know the dms build up or you know and things get lost in the inbox because you know so many people have got in touch on a certain day and 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 it's just how it is it's um do you know i once went to see 
a doctor when I was pregnant and, and we were a bit sort of concerned at the time. We didn't have movement and things like that. So, and, and the doctor took so much time with me and the, the waiting room was packed. And I remember thanking him saying, thanks for, you know, giving us so much time because I appreciate you've got a queue outside. And he said, you know what, as long as you always accept that there's always going to be a queue outside, then you can just focus yeah. on doing the job you're doing. And I just, that really stuck with me that actually, yes, there's always a to-do, I'm a mother of three, there's always a to-do list as long as my leg, and I'm never going to get it all done. There's never mm -hmm. going to be a day where there's nothing to do. So um, I have to kind of be like that with the comments, and I would love to respond to everyone, mm -hmm. and I do my best, but it's, it's never going to be enough. I just mm -hmm. have to forgive myself for that. All right, so now we're going to go into a few questions. I put a few polls up on my Instagram to collect from mine and Jake's followers. Um, the first question we had was, if you could go back in time and tell your 20-year-old self anything, what would you say? Um, my 20-year-old self would have been at university and working my socks off. So maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe to have fun and choose joy a little bit. Like um, I, I was... I'm quite a kind of introverted, shy person. Like my idea of like the ideal night would be sitting in front of the fire with a book, psychology work probably. Um, no and, fiction. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, so I was kind of, um, uh, you know, I was the person who would kind of say, you know, they were, oh, we're going out to the pub or a bar, you know, you're coming and I'd be, oh, you know, now I'm going to study or whatever. <laughs> and so, and that was great. You know, it, it helped me to get to where I am. But at the same time, I would probably say, you know, relax, enjoy yourself a bit, enjoy the ride. Don't, don't worry about getting everything perfect because it's, you know, everything turns out okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, probably something like choose joy and make time to just experience joy and enjoy the process. We've got a few Absolutely. more questions for you, but I want to make sure that you are good on time, Dr. Julie, because I know yeah. you were busy. Do you have a few more minutes? Yes. Yeah, okay. no, I've got plenty of time. Fine. And for everyone listening, this is how we've had to uh, do this podcast. This is how committed we are to the cause. Uh, how about we go around, Dr. Julie, you go next, and tell me <laughs> what time it is your time. I'll go first. 5.50 a.m. I'm oh, sorry, 6 a.m. 6 a.m. 8 p.m. Oh, I feel bad now. I've got the middle of the day. It's like 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave you the calendly time to pick. <laughs> yeah, no, you. That's, yeah. that's your choice, Dr. Julie. You, you're the one you to wake up at 4.30. I'm just kidding. I, I had to do it in school hours. Otherwise, you'd have like children running around and climbing on my back and stuff. So. <laughs> we could have had special guests in the audience. That would have worked really well. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but um, that's just to say that we are all committed to the cause. And Dr. Julie, like I said in the intro or before the intro, I would have woken up at 2.30 a.m. to chat with you. So oh, thank you. here is our next um, guest question. What is something that you failed at? Oh, um, do you know, I fail all the time. Um, and probably the most um, difficult failures for me are parenting ones. You know, when I have this idea in my mind of, of the kind of parent I want to be and, and it doesn't always happen like that. You know, you don't always respond to the child in exactly the way you want to. And, and maybe that's amplified for me because of clinical training and, and learning about childhood development and, and childhood trauma and being invalidated and stuff like that. And so um, I perhaps have a tendency to really kick myself if 
if I realize I've said something wrong, I don't always respond in the way that I would like to. And it doesn't always happen in the perfect way. So, and that happens fairly regularly because that's life, I think, and that's parenting. And so I think what I have to do is allow myself to feel that emotion because the, the pain of not parenting in the way you want to is intense. And sometimes, you know, it physically hurts and, you know, you get the kind of pain in my chest of, oh no, that's not, you know, that's not how I want things to be. And, um, and so I have to allow myself to feel that and listen to it and listen to what it's telling me that this is really important to me. I want to get it as right as I can, but I'm not. Um, and then often I'll go back to the books as well and remind myself that imperfect parenting is okay. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and try to reconnect with my children if, if whatever, I don't know, um, if that's necessary at the time and, and then just come back to my values and trying to live by them and allow myself to be human. Um, which, you know, you learn from each, each experience then. If you, I think if you get yourself back on track and you come back to your values and what's important to you, then you learn from the mistakes and you learn that you can get over a hump in the road. It's mm -hmm. fine. Um, you haven't lost everything. Mm -hmm. Thank you. To kind of add to what Jake was saying, um, I'm not sure if you know my story. I, uh, I'm a former college dropout. I had a 0.59 GPA and like I was at rock bottom when I first entered university and the Dean said I couldn't do college. My parents said move out and essentially I knew what I needed to do. But when you're so low, you don't feel like you want to do those things. So at the time when you failed or you set back, you don't understand what you're going through. But when you look at it in a perspective way, everything you went through was a lesson that you learned not for the betterment of yourself, but to hopefully share it and empower with others. So I think, I think recognizing we're all imperfectly perfect, being kind to yourself. I am not a parent, so I have no idea how that would feel. Um, but I think that setbacks and failures are incredible. And that's what my platform is based off of. And I strongly believe in. So that was kind of my little two cents on that. Absolutely. And that's so powerful that, that you, you don't, Perhaps, and perhaps you'll never know how many people have been inspired by that story. I think it's so powerful, isn't it, when you um, when you see someone on a screen or or something else, and you you realise that they're human and that it's that it's okay to to struggle or to have a bad time or to fail at something. That's so empowering because it, it kind of stops you in your tracks of beating yourself up um, about getting this thing called life wrong in some way. Um, so keep doing it. I think it's so powerful. Thank you so much. Um, so my next question to you would be, what would be the best piece of advice? And these are such hard questions for the audience. I'm sorry. The best piece of advice you've ever received. Oh, um, there's a few because I, um, I just love the kind of, you know, self-help books type thing. So there's been lots of advice, but actually a good advice in person um, was when I was um, on my clinical training, we have what's called a viva. So it's like a, like an exam, but a, a, a verbal exam. So you go in and you have an interview and there's a panel of people asking you questions and, and it's really frightening and, and, you know, anxiety is high. And just before I went in, um, a lecturer said to me, try and enjoy it. I was like, 
what? Uh, and he says, this is the, this is the only, probably the only time that people are going to take a genuine interest in everything you've learned and the research that you've done and your thesis and stuff. Um, so just enjoy your time to kind of tell them what you've learned and, and what you've been doing. Um, and that, without me realizing it at the time, probably um, was, you know, a great reframe. I had all this sort of natural fear and anxiety about going into a really scary exam. Um, and I managed to, to, to reframe it to excitement of, yeah, let's go. This is my time. And I kind of strolled on in and, and kind of just, you know, talked probably more freely than I would have been if I was sort of rabbit in headlights. Um, and so, you know, reframing is a great tool then that I kind of use with, with people in therapy, but, um, yeah, for me that I've really held on to that whenever something's frightening. Um, so on this journey, I've done a few sort of interviews, um, on TV and radio and stuff and something, you know, when you feel that kind of heart pounding thing, I've just told myself at the last second, let's go, let's enjoy this. Like life is short. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, what's the worst that could happen? What's the best that could happen? I could really enjoy it. And, um, and so, and that's really, you know, helped me along the way with those scary moments. The number of times that we, like you said, heart racing, about to take a big exam or get on a podcast with Dr. Julie Smith, just enjoy it. Let's just, let's just enjoy this. And, and, you know, it doesn't happen every day. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you one more question from the audience and then I'll have Zach uh, finish up with the final question. So, uh, any tips that you have on anyone that's uh, really out there struggling right now? Depression and anxiety tend to be some of the most common um, mental illnesses, and, and many people experience them, um, particularly youth that are you know in in school. And there's not always um, I wish, but not everyone seeks seeks help. And so, do you have any advice for someone that's really really struggling right now? Yeah, I think anyone who's who's really struggling, it's it's really easy to underestimate how powerful the basics can be, and and certainly something that I would often talk through people in therapy before we get into you know the the history and the relationships and all the complex stuff is how have we got the foundation right? And I think the sort of foundation of, of good mental health is pretty similar to the foundation for good physical health. I would say good sleep, um, a good diet in terms of eating stuff that nourishes you and staying hydrated and stuff like that. Um, a, a sense of routine. So a sense of predictability in life that you know what's coming and you sleep at the same times roughly and you're awake at the same time unless you're doing a podcast and you get up early. Um, and exercise, you know, the, there's just incredible research on the power of moving your body. It's what we were built to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly I notice a massive difference when I get busy and I stop prioritizing exercise. My mood goes down. I've, my stress goes up. Um, exercise is so powerful. And you don't have to go run a marathon. You know, you can just go out for an extra walk each day or, you know, before or after school, whatever that might be just start moving your body more and it, it will thank you. It will respond. Um, and then probably the last one is, is social connect. I would say connection, probably connection, social connection, human connection is our inbuilt stress regulator. You know, it, it helps us to, to regulate that stress and, and, and deal with stress. 
and and heal from whatever other things might be going on but also connection to nature i think is incredible so if you're going to be moving your body try go do it outside somewhere green and beautiful and and it, it's just so powerful um so getting those you know i i say to people um that i'm working with we kind of write them out and and maybe put them on post-its and and get them to just pop them on the fridge or somewhere they're going to go to every day you don't have to make some massive change and suddenly become a triathlete you just um just pick one each day and say what's one thing i could do today to slightly improve on that one for myself and then you know you build foundations brick by brick don't you, you just you mm -hmm. you do it a piece at a time so always always just checking in on those foundations and going which one have i let slide this week how can i bring that back in how can i bring that back in which gets that foundation and then if, if you are struggling on top of that with more complex issues then please 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 seek some help and support and and people contact me from all around the world and i i don't know what the different mental health services are like in different countries so it's really hard to advise that but if you can't access professions um you'd like psychologists or therapists or psychiatrists for, for whatever reason um then you know seek human connection find someone that you trust to talk to um because it's it's so incredibly powerful to have someone who will listen and not judge you and just hold your hand along the journey um while you focus on your recovery mm. thank you for that i agree entirely and although you speak a lot i know jake does as well in his TikToks. I don't speak in my videos kind of for that reason because um, a lot of the times people don't want to be, especially medical students, you can't diagnose and tell people what to do, but people just want to be heard and validated and listened to. They don't always want to be told what to do. And I think just recognizing that and empathizing with that, I think that goes a really long way, TikTok aside, because um, people feel like when someone comes to them with a problem that they need to fix it. A lot of the times, especially if you're not a qualified healthcare practitioner, that's not your role and that's not what you should be doing. Just have a listening ear and then give them the resources that they need when they need it. Yeah. And with so many people, that can be enough. Sometimes we just need to express ourselves and, and say how we feel so that we allow that emotion to come up and then it processes naturally. And then we kind of come back to baseline and we can carry on. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it's just so powerful that that human connection all right so this is the official last question what does the future entail for dr julie smith where do you see yourself going next with this what's because i know you're saying it just it's been crazy yeah <laughs> i mean me who what. knows i never i never would have dreamed um this time last year that this is where i would be you know my husband and i went on holiday and had probably a little bit too much time to think of a new project <laughs> and and started this whole thing and um and now so i never dreamed that this is what life would be like now so uh, if i make a prediction about what it'll be like this time next year i'm sure it will be wrong because i have no idea again i think i'm just going with old habits of just follow what feels right what feels interesting and what fits with the values and i'm you know there's there's lots of lovely exciting sounding opportunities coming up realize I can't do all of them so I have to just go with what feels uh, meaningful to me and what feels valuable what's the the trick for me is always give something of value just you know I've got this this training that not everybody else has access to so mm -hmm. share it share it share it so um 
that's the mission for me. I can't really see, you know, it's a bit of a bizarre metaphor, but you know, if you're in, um, in like a huge hotel or a big ship or something and you have the lights on sensors so you can never see the whole corridor in front of you you can only see the first kind of few meters and then as you walk forward the next light comes on and you can see the next bit and then that's kind of how it feels like I don't have a long-term vision of my life but I can kind of see the next few months <laughs> the next year um, so uh, but that's exciting right you just then never know which way it's gonna go so hopefully more podcasts with you guys that would be good. Hey, we'd love that. It would that. be an absolute honor. And I think what you said, as long as you're following your values in pursuing the passions, as long as the values align with it, the corridor is going to keep lighting up brighter yeah. than ever. And I think, so, and I think I sometimes, yeah, and a lot of those sort of young people today have that sort of pressure of, I need to know what I'm going to do with my life and how it's going to look and, and you know, get it on the calendar and, and actually... The, what you begin to realize as as you get a bit older is, is nobody's got it sorted nobody really knows what they're doing they're just kind of trotting along and, and hoping it works out for the best so um yeah I think that can be a bit framed to know you don't have just follow what feels right at the time and mm -hmm. see where it goes so true Dr. Julie we are so thankful and honored to have you on our show especially for episode one we just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for coming out today spending your time with us spending time with all the listeners and we wish you the best in your career we can't wait to see where you are in 2021 in 2025 thanks so much and you never know one day we might be able to meet in person as opposed to three screens we would love that. That would be incredible. Yeah. Jake will be up at 2 a.m. for that. Oh, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> I, I, I want to fly to Australia. That's why. You're more than welcome Australia. if you want to come to Sydney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Dr. Jo Dr. Julie, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. And um, we wish you the best. Thanks yes, so much. Thank you for your time, Dr. Julie. Thank Bye. you.